Hey, this is uh, Barney Rubble, and you're listening to the, uh, uh, hey, uh, Fred, uh, what podcast are we listening to? Uh, Barn, the Movie Rob Minute Podcast. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, keep on listening. Welcome to Minute 87 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Aaron Newworth of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Come out to the podcast, have a good time, hear some laughs. Just stay How away from the uh, new Provo front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might get you into a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know, I've actually been to Nakatomi Tower a few times. Oh wow, cool! By the way, yeah, like there's, it's Fox, it's Fox Studios. And did so did you have to take under. off your shoes? Uh, not the time that I went there, but um, but like the towers, like you drive, you can't miss it. Like if you know what you're looking at, like so you're like when you're driving to Fox Studios for screenings, it's right there, which is just neat. Uh, but I've been in, I've also and the, the screening, you know, the studios next to it. But I've been in the building as well when they had a um, there is a 4K blu-ray presentation for deadpool and it was oh, neat. Wow. So i got to i got to go into the nakatomi tower and get right in the elevator up to a floor where we had a special screening room where it was like a two t two monitors and one was like a blu-ray and one was a 4k and you had director tim miller of um deadpool there uh like and like some like 4k experts like going over like the differences that are offered between the two but I'm like, I'm sitting in Nakatomi Tower, you know, the Fox business building, like, like go, doing this. Like, this is neat. So you weren't really paying attention to what they were talking was, about. But that, I was paying <laughs> plenty of attention, but, like, going into, like, the lobby of the building is like, this is it. <laughs> this is the building. This is great. And did it, did it look the same? I mean, aesthetically, it looks the same. I mean, it, you know, it's a little different as far as the, you know the basic decor or what have you but in terms of like the layout it's like yeah all right <laughs> this adds up this is no great. like you, you think that they filmed uh a lot of the like in the lobby that that is the the lobby itself or was I, that a soundstage like the geography of it mates i mean i'm sure it was a soundstage as far as them actually doing stuff but in terms of what it looks like it's like this looks like the lobby <laughs> oh wow very cool and and did you park there there's a parking garage. No, I know there's a parking garage because Argyle's there. I'm just wondering. It's not. No, it's not. It's not an underground parking garage. No, I didn't park in that one. No. I know it, it. It exists, but I did not park in it. <laughs> and did, did they let you go up to the roof? Not to the roof. No. It, it, but it wasn't under construction anymore either on the other floors. So oh, okay. And I, I'm assuming they've had hundreds, if not thousands, of people come into their office and say, "Oh, this is where they did Die Hard." I, I'm sure. I'm sure they use that specifically for like a lot of meetings, like those those specific offices. <laughs> yeah, and here you can see the blood stains from. Uh, yeah, leave <laughs> it there. It's on. It's on one of the chairs, <laughs> the window. Exactly. Here's where Ellis was shot, and here's where Takagi was shot. <laughs> and if you walk down this corridor, you can see where Carl got uh, strangled by the, uh, you know, by the chains. <laughs> That, yeah, they just have a body hanging. <laughs> it's, a stunt, it's a stunt man who comes alive every now and then. <laughs> Scare people. Hey, why not? That, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Very cool. 
All right, so episode 87 begins with Al continuing to defend John and ends with Hans continuing with his demands. Mm-hmm. So yesterday we ended things with uh, with Robinson saying that he, uh, you know, he's very disappointed in, in uh, John and Al, you know, stood up for, for John, trying to defend him. And he, he ended the minute yesterday by saying, why don't you wake up? And today we get the end of that sentence where he says, and smell what you're shoveling. And Robinson just, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I brought it up a little bit yesterday, but it's pretty bold of Al to, to, to talk this way to his superior. You know, he, he could get easily reprimanded or fired or whatever it is, you know, for, for talking. I mean, again, we both are in agreement and most people are in agreement that Robinson's an idiot. And, you know, whatever, just because your boss is an idiot doesn't necessarily mean that you can badmouth him, you know, in front of others. Yeah, but (laughs) I mean, for one thing, it's a movie, but also it's what? No, it's it's not. It's extreme. It's it's extreme circumstances. Like I (laughs) and I think the line that's coming is what this all works up to, like as far as his dedication to all of this. And I think that that makes it entirely worth it to him as as a character. Right. And then Robinson says to him, you listen to me, Sergeant. Anytime you want to go home, you consider yourself dismissed. And then Al responds by saying, no, sir, you couldn't drag me away. Which just rules. Like, it is such yeah. a great line. And that's like the everything he says leading up to that. It's it like this is just the great, great culmination point of who Al is as a person right yeah. now. Like, who who is this man? He's not a guy that, you know, he's introduced buying Twinkies. He's then, you know, seen being skeptical of a situation that he's been dragged to that he didn't want to go to. And now he's here being like, I'm in it till the end because this guy is doing the best he can. And only I, oh, the only thing I can do is be down here and stand up for him because I see, I see what's going on here. I am reading between the lines. Right. And, I, and I entirely respect it. Like, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, it's a, like, if there's a way to put down this man who is a superior, yes, I understand that. That's the way to do it, to show that I am here to do my job. When do you start doing yours? That's right. what he's telling them. More or less. That's very true. Now, I, I mean, makes me wonder why Robinson just doesn't say, you know, get out of here. You're dismissed. You know, he he, he just tells him that if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. <laughs> so. Because he, I, I, cause he, he knows he's right. He knows it's like you know what I did just kind of jump to conclusions as to this guy dying and like I my, I've been made a fool of by by Al. No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think I think I don't think Robinson that understands wrong. that he's. That I think he, he knows that he's wrong. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I get it. I get disagree with you on that one, Aaron. I think he's too bullheaded to admit that he's that he's not not in the best of shape to handle this. I think he's too bullheaded to believe that 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 he's you know that that he's wrong here. Because again, we're going to see later this week with with the FBI guys and stuff like that. He continues to act as if you know he he's in charge and knows everything that's going on. He wants to believe that. I think deep down he knows the truth that he has no power in this. That he's completely out of his element. Um. Hmm. Okay, that, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I. But I. I I have trouble believing that, that that Robinson is that smart to realize that he made the, that that he's making mistakes. He's like Ellis. He's, I don't think I don't think he he's, thinks don't he's think doing he's, the right thing. But I also think I I mean I would argue that Ellis eventually realizes that he is also completely out of his depth. As and a bullet is going through his brain, yes. Yeah, 
<laughs> even at the the last look on his face, I think he understands when 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 he's asking for John to say anything and John's not saying anything. We're back to Alice talking again. I, I do think in the in the span of a few seconds where there is a gun pointed at him, he's understanding I was wrong. Like this is this is this is not the way I should have handled this. Whether my cocaine powers did not you know work for me or not, I'm not right here. Like I, I I've got, I've stepped completely out of my zone. I can't talk my way out of it. I like what does he say? Like I eat like your cereal trash for lunch or something like that. Like before he steps in to try to no, that's him. what he said beforehand. Yeah, before, yeah, like before he steps in to hit to hand to hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I I do think these are the I make million man, dollar uh, decisions for breakfast. That is, yeah, that, there it is. Yeah, I think these. These guys that think Mingo they deals. have, Sorry. there you go. I think these guys that think that him and Dwayne that think they have things under control just because they are in a position that makes them think they can be. I don't think that necessarily denotes the idea that they're completely convinced of that. I there's not enough on Dwayne to like go further into because he's just a complete screenwriter character. Uh, as far as always has to be wrong despite being controlled, that's the case. There's a it's a two dimensional character, but I do think, I do think just being told off by Al, deep down, I know I think he recognizes that like there are different ways he could handle things. He's not going to. He's not gonna make that decision. But like he he, he knows. All right. Okay. I, I again, I I hear what you're saying, but I, I still think that. That he's too much of an idiot to realize that, you know, for him, his way is the right way. It doesn't matter what everyone else wants to do. You know? it, yeah, it's sort of like expressing that. Yes, I agree. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. But I don't think he thinks in his mind that someone else's idea is better or that he's wrong. I don't think he's that's, thinking that's that what... deeply about it, but I do think it's there. I do think there's a part of him that understands something is amiss as far as his logic and what's actually happening. Okay. All right. That's fair. And then we, we hear uh, talk come over the, the CB. We hear Hans. Attention, police. Attention, police. And immediately Al grabs the, the, the watch talk. He goes, this is Sergeant Al Powell. And then Robinson looks at him and goes, give me that. <laughs> this is, uh, this is uh, Deputy Chief Dwayne Robinson. Who is this? This is Hans Gruber. I assume you realize the futility of direct action against me. We have no further, we have no wish for further loss of life. Well, uh, what is it that you do wish for, Mr. Gruber? <laughs> I have comrades in arms around the world, languishing in prison. The American State Department enjoys rattling its saber for its own ends. Now it can rattle it for me. The following people are to be released from their captors. In Northern Ireland, the seven members of the new Provo Front. In Canada, the five imprisoned leaders of Liberté de Quebec. In Sri Lanka, the nine. And then it, uh, that, that's where the, the dialogue gets cut off here uh, with, with this uh, minute. Now, first of all, I love the fact that while he's talking, we see all these things going on behind him. Mm -hmm. You know, well, first of all, I mean, we, we have the, the first question that I asked, let, let's move back a little bit, is that why does Al take the the cb and think that he's the one who should be doing the negotiations at this point he, he feels he i mean he just told off his boss he's feeling a little heightened in that moment i believe and also the walkie talk is just right in front of him so right. okay he's grounded <laughs> i mean it's a, a mix of practicality and self-esteem right okay and i mean it, it's just funny that, that then 
Robinson sister, give me that. <laughs> you know, it's, it adds, it, it's somewhat of a slapstick type of, of line for him to say yeah. it that way. And then like he grabs it from he's his a, head. He's a silly character. That's his yes. design to be silly in every sense. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. And, um, then when, when Robinson takes the thing, he, he begins to stutter a little bit, which is again, trying to show us that, that he really is way in, uh, way in over, over his, uh, over his head here. Yeah. You know, this, he's not a negotiator. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he doesn't even, he doesn't even know how to say his own name. He's stuttering by saying his own name. <laughs> And I, I mean, I like the fact that Hans at this point is willing to, to, you know, uh, tell everyone that it is him. You know, we, we heard earlier that there was a, you know, suspicion that Hans Gruber is, is, is the person that we're talking about here. Right. But it's never been proven completely mm-hmm. until this point when he actually says, you know, that this is Hans Gruber. You know, obviously we understand this because that's part of his plan. If they don't know that it's Hans Gruber, then, you know, once he's quote unquote dead, people won't be looking for Hans Gruber anymore. Yeah. But, it, yeah. You know, it's a mix of planning and also just pride. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that was part of his plan at this point to reveal it. You know, whether yeah. whether it would have been I on mean, the news or not. I believe so. I mean, <laughs> it's a state. I. I mean, presumably, if nothing happened with, um... well, no, because he had planned for the FBI to come the whole time. So, like, there was something he planned for the FBI, be... but he hasn't gotten to the point where the FBI is there yet. You know, no, but like, I mean, at some point, he was going to have to like present this kind of information. Like, it wasn't like the plan was always going to be this stealthy thing where no, no nobody knew about it. Like, the plan was always to involve the authorities to some degree. Right. I mean, there's also the whole idea that that when his um. You know, when when they mention on the news that that it might be Hans Gruber, they say just you know an hour ago, the you know the the the, the group that he works for you know issued a statement saying that 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 they no longer have ties with him. Mm-hmm. Meaning, so that is all part of his plans. You know that they yeah. they are everyone. You know, everyone's going to be looking for Hans, and you know you don't look for a dead man, so there's no need for. I that. guess it, I yeah I guess if Takagi gave up everything right away, then there. I guess it's like this, the the plan that they probably knew they were gonna have to do, uh, but like maybe things go the right way and he just gives up the combination and they're in and they don't have to do any of that. Wow, but, that, you know what? I never even thought about that. That would have been great. You know, he's like, Chicago, just, give me the code, okay? He gets <laughs> there you it, go. and they get they get everything they want. And they get away. So this <laughs> is like, I wouldn't say this is the backup plan because I, I I assume that he's like. This is what we're probably gonna have to do. Maybe it goes the easy way, and Takagi gives us everything right away. Probably not gonna happen. So right. we're gonna have to do this and get the FBI involved <laughs> so we can break everything down. Like, so it's, but I mean, in terms of your original question, is it like at this point in the night would this have been what he planned to do? I don't know. It depends on what his goal was. If McLean wasn't involved, right? I presumably you'd right. have to you'd have to like. I, I don't know if he just like ring the cops and be like, Hey, guess what? I'm taking over this building. You got to give me this stuff. Or if he like, since he had the detonators, I mean, he's always going to blow the roof up. Right. But he had, like, I mean, he has anti-tank weapons and everything. Like he, like there, he was going to do something to set off the alarm essentially to get the cops to get there to begin with. Like that had to be a part of the plan. Cause he, right. needed, to, he, he needed to have yeah, the police presence to create chaos. Right. And again, for, for him to, 
you know, for everyone to assume that he's dead, you know, they have to know that he's there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, what what part of the night this is supposed to happen? I don't know who's to say. But like, is in terms of like, was he always going to do this? Yes. It's funny the fact that he says that you know he doesn't he doesn't want any further loss of life, which <laughs> his whole plan is lots of loss of life. <laughs> Let's continue with the facade. Let's see how gullible the police are. You know, we means, want peace. Means to, means to an end. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Completely. And you know, a, as he's talking. You know, we see a, a shot of the, the room, which it pans through the room, and we see, you know, <laughs> Ellis's head, and we see, you know, blood oozing, blood and brains oozing out of it onto the chair. You know, to, to once again show us, you know, the irony of, of someone who says, we don't want any further loss of life, but I just, you know, uh, a few minutes ago just blew someone's brains out. So nice, nice contrast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this this is just talking about you know what McTiernan's doing as a director, um, yeah, and Jean De, and, and speed director Jean Debont as a film as a cinematographer. Um, it, it's just good craft, like as far as for sure. Juxtaposing this stuff, it works. Yeah, completely. And and then he starts talking about these various different uh, uh, terrorist groups. You know, he mentions the the new Provo Front, okay, which uh, obviously anyone will try and do a search, you will not find it because uh, there's no such thing. <laughs> it's it's supposedly based on the uh, the the real organization of the Provisional uh, Irish Republican Army. Yeah, so they just found a uh, a nice way to not offend by you know changing the name a little bit. Change, changing that, the names yeah. to, to protect the innocent. I mean, I, I assume that's the case for all these things. They're all like yes. rooted in some kind of truth, and then you can say the same about this other thing later, as far as a certain syndrome. But right. right there, exactly. So you have the Liberty de Quebec, mm -hmm. which uh, obviously also is not not real. <laughs> and then we have, um, so actually the. The Liberty de Quebec is based on a real-life organization known as the Front de, de Liberation du Quebec, the FLQ, which is a militant Quebec separatist group that uh, in 1970 kidnapped two government officials. They accidentally killed one of them and uh, started what's known as the October Crisis, which was the only time that Canada ever uh, invoked martial law during peacetime. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we have Sri Lanka, which we're going to have to wait until tomorrow to find out the name of that terrorist organization. But uh, what, what do you know about the country of Sri Lanka? Huh, it's a tiny little island off of the southern tip of India. It, um, I believe, has had to go through a number of... Uh, Violent political struggles uh, to maintain. Yes, level that's to say the least. They've had numerous, numerous assassinations of of their leaders. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, film that I that I believe won the Palme d'Or can uh, 2000 in the two, early 2010s called Deepan. Uh, that's very much it's about a Sri Lankan man who has to go to India. He has to move his family to India after like 
getting out of the like one of the wars that occurred there. It's a good movie. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite aware of Sri Lanka as a as a nation. Yes. So did, did you know what year it became a uh, a nation when it got its I, independence? I want to. Is it it like fifties, sixties? Is it earlier, earlier than that? Forty eight. 1948. 40, okay, 50. Okay, good. good. Yeah, you're close. You're close. <laughs> I mean, obviously, their history goes back like 3,000 years, but I'm talking about exactly, since yeah, they were... in terms of like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they, they had a 26 year civil war, which began in 1983 and went until 2009. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a a very small country that is that has had many problems over its uh, almost seventy five years uh, of existence. Yeah, and uh, I mean it was it was part of the the the, the British conquest. Mm-hmm. You know, they the British the Brits colonized it in eighteen fifteen until they gave it its independence in nineteen forty eight. But uh, you know, as as we said, there there've been a lot of uh, political. There's been a lot of political turmoil over <laughs> over those years. You know, I mean, even one of the uh, one of the prime ministers who was assassinated, his wife became the the new prime minister, and then they tried assassinating her. And there was an attempted coup, and you know, fun, fun, fun. Yeah, as they say. Well, at least you live in a place that has no political turmoil whatsoever. No, I, oh, and, and and you also. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know which which. I don't know whether Israel or America is a safer place to want to live these days. <laughs> we're we're all in the <laughs> as they say. <laughs> See what you're shoveling. That's right. There you go. Very good. <laughs> the the thing that I like about the way that that Hans is is making up all of these the, this, you know the fact that he wants these people released is he's basically saying to everybody, I'm a political terrorist. Yeah. You, you know, he's, 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 he's throwing it out there in order to confuse them even more so that later on, nobody will say, Oh, well, you know, all this money is missing. So, you know, it must've been them, but they're political terrorists. They have, they must have some sort of political gain that they're trying to get here. You know, it's it it completely is there to uh, you know throw 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 the uh, what's it called what what's the phrase throw the throw the the monkey wrench throw the a wrench a wrench into the gears. Okay, there you go. That that that's good too. <laughs> there, there's another phrase that I'm trying to think of right now that I can't right. really think of. But, uh, you know, something like that. <laughs> All right. Do, do you have anything else for for this minute before we get into the script? Uh, no, nothing, nothing else in my scenario. Okay. Uh, so again, the script has a few minor discrepancies. Um, in the final cut, Al says, and smell what you're shoveling. In the script, it says, and smell the <laughs> you're shoveling. Okay. Again, six of one half of a dozen of the other, it's the same thing. Doesn't really make, make well, much you know, of a difference. Because you, 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 you took out a, he took out a <laughs> last week in the script there also. I mean, it just yeah. feels like you know the choice being made is like you know i'm being i'm i'm being i'm mouthing off to my superior i can do that without resorting to a certain level of um, profanity i guess is the or maybe it was because he knew that he was going to be on like a a uh, sitcom you know and needed to start cleaning up his uh cleaning up his language a little bit it's here nor there i know what you're saying but i mean i <laughs> i 
I, I, I can see, like, you know, a, a, a cop trying to know his place while still trying to make a point. I think that he, I think he's smart enough to know how to do that without, you know, getting nasty with the language, I guess. Right. Okay. That's true. And then after the, after Hans begins to talk and says, intention police twice. So then the script says, it's asses and elbows time. Tape recorders are started. <laughs> Which makes no sense whatsoever. You know, have you, have you ever heard that, that term before? Asses and elbows time? I, I have. And what, what does it mean? Know. I mean, I, I didn't look it up. I'm wondering what it means. I, I I don't know how to use that in the right context, honestly. <laughs> in this movie or in general? <laughs> in general, I don't I don't know a way where I'm like I should use asses and elbows. <laughs> it's like a way to further along the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. So the only the only thing that that uh, the only other difference here is is we get a shot of McLean listening in as they're 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 listening to all of to, to everything being being said here and. It basically, you know, he's got this like strange look on his face, like what the hell is he talking about? And then it says, listen to this with expressions ranging from astonishment to dismay to outright derisive amusement. That makes me laugh that they they say that, that that's the way John is listening to the whole thing. You know, he's just sitting there, you know, smoking a cigarette while he's listening to it. He's not giving many facial expressions here <laughs> with the way that he's doing that. But uh, yeah, so uh, every Tuesday, we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guest will give a little story about some sort of uh, adventure or misadventure or trip of something that happened around the holidays. So what have you got for us, Aaron? I want to say this is 2006 or 2007. Uh, I was in college at UC Santa Barbara in California, and it was going to be Hanukkah. And it was, I wanted, it's post Thanksgiving, um, which makes sense, but sometimes it's early. Um, but like before like holidays, so I'm still at college as opposed to like, like back at home for like winter break or whatever. Um, and because it was going to be Hanukkah and I'm away from home, you know, the days would be ostensibly spent in my door, in my uh, apartment at that time. Uh, I needed to find a menorah. Uh, I didn't have one, I, uh, my own. I didn't, I didn't, you know, my dad had our menorah. Uh, so I spent a good, like, Saturday just hunting all over the area to find a menorah. I, I, it was increasingly difficult and frustrating because I went to all these different stores, um, you know, like greeting card stores, and like Target and like things like that, you know, places where you, you know, you could hopefully find you know anything <laughs> um, and it apparently not uh not not thanksgiving time <laughs> not thanksgiving time. yeah uh so it took me a good long day to do i, I went to so many different places in like i'm in santa barbara there's we where the college is technically outside of santa barbara but i went downtown to santa barbara to like go to different stores to see if they had anything got back to galita the city that's next to santa barbara which is where like, the, the school is um went to more stores eventually finally found a hallmark store um and it was like I, it was night at that point and it's you know november or whatever so you're like early december so it, you know it's like six seven o'clock or whatever uh found a hallmark store that was like almost closing and i got in there and i asked like do you have any menorahs it's like we do we have a menorah and i found i found a menorah i got candles i still have that menorah to this day it's a silver uh menorah that i do not 
I mean, it's a podcast. I don't need to show you the menorah. <laughs> it's not it's not accessible to me at this time anyway. Um, but I still have it, and I use it when I go traveling, or if I know I'm going to be away from like you know family in my own home uh, to you know celebrate Hanukkah the way I generally do. Um, but it was a uh, quite the quite the journey to to find a menorah for myself. Well, that's really cool though, because especially you know you you have this this you know this item that now has you know traveled with you for 15 years. Yeah, so that's really cool. You know, and it always will remind you of uh, your college days or or that particular day, you know, searching the entire searching over the entire city for a menorah. Yeah, that's actually a good script. You should do something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, there there aren't that many Hanukkah stories, so why not? No, they're not. They're not it's it's always a uh, always wondering like where are the Hanukkah story, where are the Hanukkah movies coming out. There you go. So now Aaron Aaron will have one. Yeah. Yeah. Start working. Yeah, start yeah. working on that script. Work. We're chopping it. Yeah. <laughs> Just as long as you're you you smell what you're shoveling. Yeah. yeah. I'll get Reginald Bell Johnson involved. It'll be great. Hey, why not? Maybe maybe he'll be interested. It's probably it can't be that expensive. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true. That's unfortunately very true. All right. Oh, Aaron, you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. I, uh, everything I do ends up on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com, but I host a podcast called Out Now with Aaron and Abe uh, with my friend Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases. I write for leagueofentertainment.com for movie reviews, wisesofblue.com for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews, and I'm on Twitter, Twitter at Aaron's PS4. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Facebook, and you can find me on my website. So, Aaron, you feel like uh, coming back again tomorrow? Yeah, sure. All right. Very good. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs>